0: We open the DCs together. (laughs) Yeah. Opening the DCs.
1: So, Riley, what's up? Ah. Koosh, this one's for you. (laughs) Vcon, we had the pleasure and the experience of going to Vcon together. And I know that we have hundreds and hundreds of takeaways, maybe not hundreds, but handfuls of takeaways. What was – let's start day one. What was your um, – what did you expect going into the event?
0: Day one as in like the next – like the night we got there? Just like, like the...
1: before we went to the event, what was your expectations like? Like what did you expect from it based on some of the marketing materials Gary put out, friends, NFTs? Like what were your expectations before we went?
0: I mean honestly I didn't have a ton of expectations because I didn't really – I only started seeing the marketing materials kind of like a week before we went when you were sending them to me just because, I don't know, I just, I don't know if I was following all the, like, VCon accounts or whatever. Um, But I didn't think there was going to be that many people. Like, when we pulled up to the meet and greet event, in my head, I don't know why, but in my head it was just much smaller. Like, oh, not everyone's going to be here yet. Like, but it was opposite. Right. So we got there and it was like that huge field in front of the, the stadium and it was like completely full. And I was like...
1: Didn't we time it perfectly because it was obviously thunderstorms like it was an like, hour
0: before we got there? Yeah, it was like hailing. Um, Gary like posted on his story, he was like, what the hell is this? So <laughs> like hail. But yeah, it was like perfect when we got there. Like the rain had just stopped. It's kind of humid. And then the sun was just going down. It, we timed everything perfectly because by the time we got there, we were able to get the wine signed. Cause they That's shut the true. line down just to the wine holders.
1: That's right. I was like, thank God Blake has about nine bottles in his bag. <laughs> but <laughs> we um, had like, for those of you listening, the perfect timing in about 10 situations when we were at VCon, we were just in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And to speak to what Jesse Itzler said is it's so putting yourself in the right position. Um, and then also make taking advantage of that. Yeah. You know,
0: not just being, like, at the right place, but, like, being at the right place because of the right reason or something exactly. like that, you know? Exactly. So to jump back
1: a little bit, we – how Riley got invited to VCon was kind of interesting. Originally, I was planning to have it be my wife and I. Um, reason being, I bought two v friends years ago. In thinking, okay, well, this is an event. There's a utility behind the NFT. I've been to Gary's conferences before. He always provides massive value. And then we got pregnant, so she wasn't feeling super great. And it was perfect timing for Riley to come on the V Friends trip.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I knew for sure, like, the week before. That's right. Well, yeah, you told me that. And I was like, I actually bought my ticket, like, five minutes after you said it. (laughs) Like, I didn't even wait for, like, serious comf- confirmation. I was just like, all right, we're going. We're going.
1: Um, we're going. But, yeah, so that was that was fun. So opening party, we had the chance to kind of weasel our, our way into um, talking, just getting a photo with Gary. And I am a collector of his Empathy Elephant wine that he launched, kind of an exclusive collection. So it was fun to get those bottles signed and then – we ended up going to give a few of those away. And yes. I think that that was something totally spur of the moment that I came up with because, you know, I ordered close to a hundred bottles of that wine. So I've got plenty of it. And what better way to um, give back to those that didn't have the ability to meet and greet with him because his line was so long.
0: Well, the line, like right before
1: they shut it down, the line
0: was, through the whole field wrapped around I'm just like I don't like I don't even know how many people actually got through. But like the people like it was like halfway through the line they said they've been waiting there all day. Right. Like this line's not moving fast at all because like what I realized is when we were like in the event, like inside the stadium for the day the other days, seemed like he was moving it a lot quicker. So I feel like that night was kind of like a Test run,
1: yeah, to see how the because his goal was to like meet obviously, meet everybody and take yeah. a photo with them, you know. Fanboy,
0: I think he just was shy. I think he probably just like crossed like the 50% mark, of like, right? I think he met like 4,700 and there was like 7,000 that went or something. That's crazy,
1: that but, is wild. Okay, so let's dive into it a little bit. <clears throat> Day one of the conference, woke up early, it was a madhouse to get in there. um This is another example of good timing. Yes. We had the ability to uh, go in the media line because Riley obviously had a camera with him, and we just acted like we knew what we were doing. Confidence. Confidence (laughs) is key. Um, That first day, I know it was long. What were some of your takeaways from that first day? I think some of the main speakers that I remember and recall, you know, obviously... Gary V 1.0, Gary V 2.0 yes. <laughs> and the real Gary V came out which was quite comical. But uh what were some of those takeaways from some speakers that you recall? Well, if Jesse
0: Itzler was that day. I mean, that was by far
1: my favorite speech, maybe even of the
0: whole event. Yes. I didn't really follow he... Jesse Itzler prior,
1: but I am now and I like his Yeah. Friday was the banging day. We had we had the so let's let's start with Friday, and we can kind of talk through our day, because I think that there's different takeaways from each speaker that were pretty interesting. So Jim Quick, um, what was some takeaways from Jim's speech? Do you remember? Did we
0: listen to it? Did we stay? Yeah, we stayed. It was on right that after main him. Oh stage. yeah, because yep.
1: And he talked about memorization and techniques to he do was, that. He was yeah.
0: He was talking about. I honestly. Don't really. I didn't take honestly a lot away. Even if you would have asked me the day after, right? I didn't take a ton away from him just because I wasn't super interested in it. Um, I think he could have done a better um, intro. Well, intro and just kind of like the whole plot of the like of his talking. Like, I didn't want to. I didn't want to like participate in a memory game. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah, that early in the morning, first thing. Yeah, it was like yeah, it was was kind of a lot. Cause I was pumped up from Gary and then I was like, all right,
1: what's next guy. So we had a few breakout sessions and then we went to the panel called sweet talking with candy digital with Mike Novogratz, the founder of galaxy digital, which is a huge crypto fund. Um, I follow Mike pretty religiously. So I think it was a new face for you. Yeah. Michael Rubin, the owners of the 76ers. He also owns fanatics. Um, And started Candy Digital, which is basically taking Fanatics, which is a clothing and licensing company through Major League Sports. You know, all your memorabilia, all your clothing, all of that stuff. And he started a digital company to do NFTs around events and entertainment within the sporting industry like a dunk or something it turns into an NFT, so yeah. kind of a collector's yeah. item. Uh, what was some things from that talk that were fascinating mm-hmm. to you? Obviously, get Gary sat on that panel as well. Well, it's
0: kind of just interesting to see like how connected Gary is with all these people. Like, just like not random people, but just like you know Michael Rubin. Like, you wouldn't. I don't know if I would correlate them to like. I wouldn't think. Oh yeah, Gary and Michael Rubin. Yeah, you know, but then they're like, yeah, we started candy digital together, all this stuff. And I'm just like, I didn't even know about that when it was happening. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew about the all in challenge when they started
1: it, but I didn't know what they were doing. Like, I don't know if they said they were doing this or not, but. And that's I think from that conversation, I remember um, candy digital surfaced from the all in challenge. And for those of you that don't know what the all in challenge was, it was early in the pandemic. Where Gary and a group of um, wealthy individuals started auctioning off sports related experiences and items in exchange for raising funds to feed individuals during <clears throat> uh, 2020 when things were starting to crash and go south. So I think what's really fascinating is is something for such a good cause brought the three of them together. And now that they've, you know, been at the right place at the right time, they are now starting their own company together, which has a lot of potential in my opinion.
0: Yeah. So what's the premise of Candy Digital? Is it just like an NFT web three company pretty much?
1: Yes. From my understanding, it's the web it's a web three NFT company that is taking so let's say like a signed Derek Jeter jersey. Gotcha. You know, and they're turning like into an a, NFT. Exactly. They're taking that and and either turning that into and the thing about nfts that's fascinating to me is two things one it's giving you the ability to own a piece of something or something and it's allowing your funds to remain liquid if there's a buyer i mean the stock market's a perfect example it's like you can't sell your stock unless someone's going to buy it. Uh, yeah. So, but like you the, know, the the premise behind that is there always needs to be a buyer for it, which is kind of the it's that's where the liquidity pool tends to be interesting a little bit when it comes to some of that memorabilia stuff.
0: How long is it going to take for like the NFT space to get such a large
1: not uh, following pool. Yeah, yeah investor pool? Yeah. So
0: it's like. There's always a buyer because like when I want any stocks that I sell, obviously I'm not dealing with huge orders. So it's like anything I go to sell, it sells. Right. Because it's just like,
1: there's always a buyer. Yeah. So it's like,
0: I feel like until, until they get to that point in like the web three space, it's going to be a little like tricky and like more risky. Cause if you own like a $5 million board ape, you're like, Is someone going to buy this for 10 million or right. You know, more so of, like being confident down the road. Because About more people.
1: Exactly. I think that's the one thing that <clears throat> obviously the market is, is trying to transition into from an NFT space is that, you know, the buyer pool, it's super interesting to hear that, you know, what is it? Open has something like 3 million monthly active users. Um, and how many of those people are actually buying? or Are they just searching for things? Yada, yada, yada. Um, so when it comes to what the NFS, NFT space is like, what is the NFT space to you? Like, how do you see? Yeah, that's a good
0: question because I think well, what, right when Gary introduced V Friends was kind of when I was just learning what the heck it all was, um, and I'm kind of I'm kind of kicking myself for not like diving more into it because at the time I was just like, what is it? Right. And I didn't take the time to learn about it because I was doing a lot of trading with stocks, and then I was getting into crypto. But then I was like, "There's so much to the NFT space." I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Because is crypto is a like a other... whole other,
1: la- or like NFTs are a whole another layer of crypto.
0: Well, yeah, like crypto is. Like just... If
1: you don't understand crypto, you definitely don't understand NFTs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Crypto is like the base layer. You need to use and know crypto to use and interact with NFTs. Right. You know. But I mean, in my mind, when I think about it, and obviously going to this, to VCon was like a really big eye opener to like see all of these large, um, influencers and like public figures that are like, yeah, we're all in web three NFTs. And I'm just like, what? Like, (laughs) it's kind of crazy just that everyone has an NFT project. And I'm just like, I didn't even think, um, like what's, who was it? Um. Ashton Kucher's wife.
1: Oh, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. Yeah.
0: Like, and she has that NFT project. And I'm just like, it's it's some of the people that are just, you're just like would never ever think would be a part of a project. I but think it's like, that's
1: very, in, it's an interesting observation. I think that at least 40% of the projects, or maybe more than that, it's a money grab because there's such this.
0: I would say like 90% yeah, probably. Yeah, I think
1: 90% is good. <laughs> And even like some of the projects that were announced or released at VCon2 are, um, I'm not saying they're going to zero, but what I'm saying is where's the utility and the value? You know, and it comes down to everything in life. It's like, why do I buy the new iPhone every year? Well, because I use it. The camera's better, you know, the processor's faster. It allows me to be more efficient in my daily life. So where, you know obviously there's a place for collectors and collector's items in gaming and that type of avatar metaverse type life style. But for the everyday consumer, I mean, this is why it took 15 years for us to adopt using a freaking smartphone, you know, like yeah. people use that we're stuck in the business world, use blackberries forever, you know? And I think that with crypto being kind of so far out there with the NFT space, it's going to take many years to, it's going to take many years to adopt it from the everyday consumer that we don't know we're using NFTs and blockchain, like the people that aren't familiar with it. Yes. So it, I don't think it will become mainstream until we don't know we're using it.
0: Well, it's going to. I mean, I wasn't around, but I feel like it's going to be a little bit like the internet. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of the stigma around it is kind of like
1: it's this is ridiculous, internet, whatever.
0: Right. But it's like, is it ridiculous? Because I mean, you see all you see all these successful people that are diving into these projects, and it's like, are they onto something early on? Mm-hmm. And so they're gonna be set up so well. Like that's when I was talking to you, I was like, or you, we were just both going back. Like we should do the first commercial real estate NFT, and how does that work? Because it's like if we are the first ones in it, like that could be good because we'll be have a good foundation. And if it's a fad, then we learned our lesson. But
1: like and that's so interesting you say that because since the conference i think about it every day how i can incorporate nfts into commercial real estate and yes there's a lot of legal logistical i wouldn't say issues but things that you have to navigate through in the way that i look at it from a i look at two things when it comes to how can commercial real estate incorporate nfts into I guess like the industry and one being basically you're developing a syndication partnership. So a lot of commercial real estate properties are purchased by not only one buyer, but maybe a bank and a handful of buyers. Maybe there's five or six buyers, sometimes two, sometimes one. The thing that NFT does for the commercial real estate space in that situation is like I said earlier, it becomes a lot more liquid. And when I say more liquid, that means you have access to your funds, hopefully quicker than the traditional commercial real estate purchase and sale. Yes, there's a lot of logistics, like I mentioned, that you will go through in a commercial real estate transaction, but I think NFTs allow that process to go a lot more smoothly because a lot of entitlements, a lot of um, history on the property, title you know, you've got a clear title before you close in most circumstances. And so with the blockchain and the verify, you know, the ledger that is verified and immutable gives you the ability to track something back to the day that it was first created. Now, it's going to take a long time for us to adopt that and put it all on the blockchain. But once we start to make progress on that, it can happen. So the number one thing, like I said, it's gonna create liquidity in the space and I hope that it has that ability to do that. And the second thing is like what I was just mentioning, we're gonna have the ability to track properties back from like conception. So if we're gonna go buy a parking lot, which I'm looking out the window right now, and turn that into a you know 17 story high rise, mixed use, retail on the bottom, apartments or condos on the top, we can start and go back on that land, let's say, 50 years and put that on the blockchain and what that would do for us is in the future let's say we develop the building we run into some issues in the dirt you know it gets recorded on the blockchain versus just with the title company so if we ever go to sell that building in 10 years it's verifying that everything was completed and done in an orderly fashion that allows any new buyer to acquire that property at a quicker pace and feel comfortable about it because right now, a lot of the lag time, you know, in a commercial real estate transaction, you know, you close in the earliest in commercial real estate, it's usually sixty days. Stuff doesn't happen a lot quicker than that, unless it's specifically a cash buyer. But for most circumstances, it's sixty days. But if any buyer or lender is coming in to purchase that property and they need to underwrite it, and they have this immutable blockchain history of what's gone on on the property it's gonna make them a lot more comfortable when processing these transactions. So what happens when our typical transaction goes from 30, 60 days to five? Like, how does that impact the industry? And that's what excites me, is because it makes commercial real estate properties more, it gives them the ability to be more liquid. Like I said, disclaimer here, there's a lot of legal compliance that we gotta figure out with this. Um, But it would be really cool to start a nft project around commercial real estate let's say we've got a a thousand tokens at thousand dollars each that gives you you know that's a hundred grand that's probably not enough but a thousand tokens at 10 grand each and you go buy you know a 10 million dollar or a five million dollar single tenant triple net lease investment where your rewarded dividends in ETH or Bitcoin or whatever that is, and you can trade that token for its value if it appreciates, depreciates, I don't know. It's complex, and I kind of went on a rant there, but I'm very fascinated to see how it will impact the commercial real estate industry, and I think that out of all industries that NFTs can impact, it's commercial real estate and the music industry because of the royalties, In the music industry, they get missed all the time and the ability to sell something and keep track of that. You know, we all, I know Riley and I are organization freaks. And if we had the ability to go 40 years into the future and we're not using this technology that we have presented to us today, um, those that are are going to be wavelengths ahead.
0: There's so many things that, that I thought about there. It's like, all right. People gonna be swing trading commercial <laughs> like properties. Like, if it's five days, like, yeah. what does that look like? And also, one thing is like, all right, so if a party goes in and buys it, and then everyone's like trading it, like, obviously, there's got to be like, you know, like the Gardner Company, a sole owner and manager. So I mean, I would it doesn't have like to be the, the
1: creator would retain twenty five percent of the investment as like a sole member manager. Um, yeah, and then
0: they'll get royalties every time it's traded.
1: Exactly, because they were the creators of it originally.
0: So that's a a second cash flow to just the rent. That's a good idea. Like income. That'd be even more of like an incentive to own a property. Because like now it's like already a no-brainer, like work to own cash flow. Exactly. It's like work to own two cash flows with one building.
1: And it's one of those things too where, yeah, NFTs are just, people view them as a picture on the internet, a JPEG, copy, (laughs) click, save. But what people don't realize is it's basically just a line of code. Yeah. Like if you look up NFTs on the ledger system, it's just a bunch of ones and zeros and numbers. Isn't that crazy? And, and that's, it creates a picture. I mean, you look at video games, basically it's written code. Like I don't process yeah. how that like creates itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, so sometimes you don't have to always, it's just a technology behind it. You don't have to always understand things or get things, but, the application of the use case of the efficiencies of life.
0: Yeah. So then that makes me think with commercial real estate and NFTs, does that eliminate the accredited investor?
1: Oh, man, that's a whole
0: label that, like, worms. feels like, you know, to participate, is it in any
1: syndication or most syndications you have to be accredited investor? It's a great question. I don't know all the legalities and the rules around accredited okay stuff
0: it, it might be like a monetary value of how much you're putting in or how I much the project's worth or yeah something. there's
1: something in that I, I know some research is like you have to have a net worth over like a million dollars or something yeah. like that to be accredited <clears throat> and then you have to file something and show that you are i mean the government has their hands in everybody's pocket to an yeah.
0: extent so then it's like how how is it like go from that in a syndication deal to like some degens? Day trading, commercial property (laughs) value, or whatever.
1: I think that on that question, I think it all circles back to regulation within the crypto space. That I would hope that the government is currently working towards solving that problem. Problem is, is that it's most of it is untrackable to the extent of. Who owns what on the blockchain? Yeah, because it is decentralized, and you can hide if you want to hide, and you can be out there if you want to be out there. You know, like I've yeah. always had the tip of don't tell people how much Bitcoin you have or how much <laughs> Ethereum you have, or if you have a board ape, don't brag about it. Yeah,
0: because you know? it can easily be well, like Seth Green got his act. stolen. I know. Was it Seth
1: Green? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, how do you get that? So basically, well, how he like- got how he got it stolen. Is he was tweeting about it all the time. Obviously, he had it on a on OpenSea, uh, not on OpenSea. It was actually on his MetaMask wallet or in his MetaMask wallet, which is once again an exchange like Coinbase. And his Twitter got hacked. And I believe that maybe his Twitter didn't get hacked. That was Beeple. Yeah, that was Beeple. Beeple. He's kind of weird. Yeah, he's, he's crazy though.
0: But um, yeah, so it's just like. Like, I think a lot, a big concept over the weekend at VCon was, oh, it's so rad, it's decentralized, no government, and then they steal your $5 million ape, and it's like, uh, help, please, and there's no help. Right. So it's like, where's the healthy balance of, like, regulation?
1: Well, that dives into the whole financial industry. It's like, really, why do we give banks our money? It's because there's trust there. Yeah, you, you know, and I really yeah, I have really processed this recently FDIC insurance is most banks up to 250 grand But if you have let's say half a million dollars in the bank in the bank were to go under I don't know if you have the ability to access Anything over 250 if the bank yeah. were to go away. Yeah, so I don't have much
0: experience with that. Yeah, but.
1: in in I mean years ago things like this happened where you know, you'd go to the teller and you'd have to negotiate to pull out of your savings account because the bank didn't have any cash on hand. And I'm it's like, crazy. what the hell? So when it comes to <laughs> decentralization in crypto, I think it's great. And I think the winners in this from a company standpoint, you know, Coinbase obviously is leading the charge big time. But it's like, where do you store it? And it's storing your private keys to access the blockchain that shows how many bitcoins you have you don't actually own these coins or they're not on your ledger they're actually on the blockchain system and this is where a lot of people get confused is they think oh i own a few bitcoins you know is it on coinbase is it on an external you know let's say you put it on your treasure and you hide it in your safe your bitcoins aren't on that treasure treasure yeah the private keys are what allows you access to that. That shows that you it's like an own ownership that. match. Yes, kind of thing. And something I read recently that's really interesting is the more times that the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, is copied, the safer it gets. So, it's like, crazy. I think MIT spent like I want to say it was like six to seven million dollars to house a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain and to carry it on going forward. That's crazy. So it's like to keep the computing power in the record system, I mean they needed 6 to 7 million dollars worth of servers to store all of those transactional lines of code. And and that just blows my brain because it's well, like yeah. every time that the, the code is copied, it makes it safer and safer and safer and safer. So people are like, "Oh, it hasn't been hacked. Bitcoin can't get hacked." And it, I guarantee it's never going to get hacked. Because it keeps just getting safer and safer and safer. The more transactions so that go through, because it's the line of code. Exactly, and there's more people that are spending the money to to be that proof of having the code. So, and I don't know. There's something like 2,500 copies of it now that all these companies have spent millions and millions of dollars to have, like the ledger system downloaded somewhere. Which
0: and it's crazy to think now, like how much actual, like how many actual computers it takes, and the storage and the space. But then, like if we fast forward ten years, it's probably gonna be like so condensed because, like, right? like I have a two terabyte space hard drive. Storage getting bigger. It's this big and this thin. But I mean, shoot, even even like ten years ago, it was nine times the size of that. So it's like, I know it is crazy. How's to the technology that. gonna keep up with that? Cause like. I mean it's like can it keep getting better and better and better? Like when's the point towards like hard dude. to
1: like it's exponential.
0: Yeah, it's and, crazy. And
1: then you think of like the people like making the microchips, it's like you look at how little these things are and I was like, Okay, how much does all this crap fit on this thing? It's, like it just yeah. once again, something that doesn't make sense that you just gotta keep using and abusing. Yep. You know? Because then one day it's gonna be like like you said, it's gonna we're gonna be using
0: it every day but we don't know it, it would notice. Right.
1: And in, in think of this, and I want to jump back to that because this is fascinating to me. So think of when credit cards came online. Like where when we went from, let's say, obviously it was cash, debit cards, and then this credit feature surfaced in the financial industry. Okay, well, yeah, we can borrow other people's money and then we pay them back. But when we started using credit cards, like that's kind of interesting to me because it's like the POS system is talking to the bank. The bank says, yep, Approved, and then that POS system talks to the other POS system saying, Okay, yeah, charge the amount. You know, wallets talking to wallets, but the intermediary is Visa, MasterCard, Chase. The ones lending. The, the ones lending on the money. Yeah. So what's fascinating to me is this next layer. Okay, we've just gotten to the point where we're, you know, Apple wallets came out, what, six, seven years ago? I don't know. And from day one, I just started one, using it last year. <laughs> I was like, This is the future. Yeah, but once again, here's another show and track record of it takes time. Now, 99% of POS systems allow in the US allow Apple Pay, you yeah. know, and can you can ha- store your cards there. I store my cards there because it's just efficient for me. Yeah. I don't carry a big old fat wallet anymore, full of credit cards. But what this speaks to is NFT and Bitcoin going to take time the adoption of it and it's going to take enough time for us to not even realize we're using it you know it's It's, like i don't carry cash anymore and a handful of people still do but it's it's slow everything's so slow and it's finding the right technology building the right projects providing the value which i think gary and his brothers have done brother have done um with their nft projects is there's actually a utility case for it so do you want to share a little bit about what you see in the NFT space in the utility aspect versus just a picture of a monkey?
0: Let's just say, just because I don't know, let's just say there's like no utility. I feel like the Bored Apes, the CryptoPunks, like what's the utility behind that? I don't, I don't know. There might be, but I feel like NFTs really got just like the first publicity of the NFTs was like a negative connotation because it was just hype. Right and it's just like this is so cool like all these like rich 20 year olds that are day trading and they're like buying these NFTs and like trading them like i just made half a million dollars yesterday and then it's like okay but you zoom out in a month and after a month of doing that and it's like not cool or the thing anymore like what's still backing it and what's making it valuable so yeah i feel like and like you said there's so many projects that are just cash grabs regardless of the utility or not some of them are just cash grabs mm-hmm. But it's like, all right, well, first step, just have utility at least, right? And then it's like, whether what the are utility you is
1: in income producing, yeah, for example, real estate in the NFT space, or provide or like fly type fish, of fly fish club, an experience. Yeah. You know, people spend money on experiences, and you look at, you know, people pay hundreds and thousands of dollars on Louis V bags, like. Okay, it's probably made for like 15 bucks, but guess what? <laughs> it creates a user experience and they find value in that. Yeah. And that's where I think knowing the consumer is the ultimate piece. Obviously, Gary v- Gary was very successful with V-Friends because of his community. Yeah. You know, but are, what people don't realize is the utility of yeah, what yeah, that yeah. is. You know, it's a conference for 3 years and I think I originally paid I'd say it was like 3,500 $3, bucks for his NFT. And just that one conference that I received was worth that. Oh, and I've got was, two more years. Yeah. Plus, you know, and the value of it's obviously gone through the roof. But just from like an initial investment standpoint, it's like, yeah, I'd pay. I'd probably pay two grand for that conference. Yeah. In all honesty.
0: I mean, regardless of, yeah, like you said, regardless of the monetary gain or loss you have to look outside of that what it's giving you right right so like it's
1: like owning a share of apple it doesn't do much for you you've got a 3% dividend yeah. or something like that <laughs> on annualized but
0: yeah so i think that's where gary really did well because i mean that's just kind of how gary works he's like you know takes what everyone's doing and just makes it better and like actually makes it more valuable more valuable yeah because i mean just even thinking like oh, the reason we went to VCon was because of a, an NFT, right? Like, So that was just so cool. And everything that he was able to do, I don't know, it was like a great event.
1: I think the most eye-opening thing to me was just how early the space is and um, putting myself in a situation I wouldn't plan to. Like my expectation going there was much lower than what I was delivered with because I was kind of like, oh, this might be – Like, no disrespect, a nerd conference, you know, a lot of video game because NFTs are tightly close with video games because of that line of code and visual description of what it is. Yeah. And so it's it's a lot closer to the video game industry than it is to, like, the general population. So I think my expectations of what I was going there for changed drastically when I came out of it. You know, yeah. it was kind of interesting.
0: Well, you were like, I'm going to go network and like talk to a bunch of people. But like, yes, you talk to people, but it's not like you're getting any gain business relationship or anything like that out yeah, of it. Yeah,
1: from some of the networking, that was the interesting yeah.
0: part. And I mean, there was a fair share of like nerds, like no, like no offense to that word or term, but just like, you know what that is. And yeah. then it's like, but there was also so many like high class, wealthy people that like own these NFTs. It's just like it was just interesting to see like the dude I sat next to the first day was like developing a currency for a new country <laughs> and I'm just like, What are You're these like
1: what is that? Like what brought you here? Yeah. You and know? then the,
0: and then there's just like, you know, some nineteen year old that made like three hundred K because he started NFTs last year and he's just like got glasses and like Yeah. Just some so scrawny funny. kid. But like there's just it was like a very wide variety, which was also kind of cool. I feel like it got us out of our comfort zones a little bit, too. Yeah, and
1: that's what it's all about. It's doing stuff that's out of your comfort zone.
0: And everyone's very, not similar, but, like, Gary's community is very mergeable. Like, even though we're all different, we all have one thing in common. Right, right.
1: And that was cool.
0: And, like, you know, everyone was walking around with a camera. And that also made me think. I was like, all right, everyone's walking around with a camera. How do we do it better? So that was, like, a good – it was, like, a good – pusher motivator for me Mm -hmm. too because like all right these people are making videos too documenting but we're just going to do it better you know so
1: i love how that sparked ideas in you to like grow and continue on your journey as is a videographer slash director of a marketing company yes
0: (laughs) yeah it was just it was just cool to see because, like, there's a lot of stigma around content creators and all that stuff. And, like, oh, it's, you know, influencers. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, like, I mean, in my, in my head, like, I, I tell you all the time, I'm, like, I'm not making my millions from video. Right. Right? But, like, it's going to be my vehicle to get me to the places I need to go, the people I need to know. Yeah, There, there's a healthy relationship with being a content creator and doing it correctly. And then there's like, you know, try to be flashy and an influencer. And like, there's, there's different things around that, which is kind of interesting to me. Like, I mean, there's a couple of people that just off the top of my head, I wouldn't want to like-
1: Go down that path. Go
0: down that path and or associate like, they're a content creator and I'm a content creator. I'd be like, no, we're like, we're, we're different. different. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a this. stigma
1: with it, and I think through the last, I would say, three to five years, you have had the ability to be a freelancer if you're in that industry and make some pretty good money. Guess what? Things are changing.
0: Well, that, so that's the thing, too. When I started video, there was probably three videographers that... I knew of and that were actually working like in not three. Okay. You know, but a handful. not that yeah. many, Boise is a <clears throat> town. right? Not that many. Now you look at it and I have high schoolers <laughs> left and right DMing me and, you know, asking me, you How know, I'm you getting into schoolers? video. Like, what do you think? And like, that just wasn't a thing when I started. So it's just kind of, it's cool, but it's also like, I'm glad that I'm rooted and like, because there's no, I mean like, I don't see any, I don't see competition in my opinion. Cause it's like, if someone chooses to work with them, there's a reason for that, and I need to fix something. There's this, It's so saturated now.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's just like NFT projects. The cream, the, you know, the good will rise to the top, you know?
0: Yeah, just like the NFT projects. The market downturn is great because it's going to filter it out. Right. And then it's also like, all right, well, whoever, whatever videographer is still here in five years, it filtered out all the ones that weren't willing to work hard enough or were just there for the name content creator like whatever so that's just kind of interesting that was kind of a side tangent but
1: no it's good though because it all ties into how you got started in the industry and how the opportunity presented itself to go to vcon
0: yeah well just to summarize in like two sentences like overall vcon was like a great experience and like those three days went by quick in a good way like i wasn't like oh all right time to go home but when we like went to the airport the next day, I was like, "All right, well, that was perfect. Like, I'm ready to get back to work, go home, do our normal
1: roti- Implementation. routine." Implementation.
0: Yeah, but it was like, it was a healthy reset and like, ten out of ten experience.
1: Yes, and we will be going back next year.
0: Yes, I wonder if where it'll be. Yeah. Oh, he's probably yeah. He's probably off though right now, so <laughs> hanging out with Mona. Mona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, that was good.